of... Okay. So if you can... So Phyllis. Yes. You as well. Are you able to put the microphone closer to your mouth? Yes. Muzz, I am really excited to introduce you to Phyllis. Yeah, I'm excited to hear about Phyllis. Because I mentioned her. I mentioned her to you, of course, in the context of my why, why I wanted to start doing this. And she... Yeah, if you listened to that first uh, intro episode, then you heard uh, you talk about Phyllis. Yeah, and I think people will really hear... I mean, once you hear her voice and how she how she talks about um, end of life and sort of her experiences with her husband's and her own health issues... Um, I think everyone will hear and understand why she's, um, you know, a great motivator. Yeah, it was a very good conversation between you two, and she's very sweet, and uh, I think people are going to enjoy this one. Yeah. Get things started. And I, and I think she also uh, is so hopeful and optimistic that other people will kind of start to talk about death more, and, and that really comes across. And Yeah. 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 So let's, uh, let's meet Phyllis. Episode one. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Phyllis, Phyllis, what is, what is your maiden name? My maiden name is Madill, M-A-D-I-L-L. M-A-D-I-L-L. And you grew up in Winnipeg? No, I grew up in Sirs, Manitoba. Oh, okay. Uh, which is about 108 miles from uh, Winnipeg. And so how old are you now, Phyllis? I just turned 88 in September. 88. Doesn't look a day over 70. Well, bless your heart. I think you do need new glasses. So, Phyllis, so you grew up in Manitoba. How long were you there? That's where your first, you met your first husband. Correct. Yes. And I just always, you know, it's something you've always been very open about. It's something that you think about and consider and, yeah, spend time with. So... When you asked me initially about that paperwork in British Columbia to it was the advanced care planning and stuff mm-hmm. like that, we mm-hmm. we were able to have many conversations mm-hmm. about end of life planning and things like that. Um, is it something that you've always felt comfortable talking about? Well, I think, um, well, number one, being uh, raised on a farm. Mm. And, uh, you know, we saw my father would not allow animals to suffer. Right. And nor were we ever, uh, as we went on our own, he always lectured us if we allowed animals to suffer. And then into nursing and seeing situations in where... (laughs) Uh, I saw a lot of people suffering, and uh, it made me think twice about uh, why we allow humans to suffer. Right. And <clears throat> so then into, uh, as I met my future uh, husband, uh, who was, at the time I met him, he was um, survived from uh, cancer surgery, major, uh, and 
then um, when he uh, survived the cancer, and then uh, about uh, ten years after we were married, or maybe it was more. I'm not exactly on the numbers sure on the numbers, but he developed um, uh, after much. Um, traveling to find out what his condition was, they diagnosed as ALS, which is Lou Gehrig's disease, or the, that's what they call it. And that was a hard, um, it was hard to get diagnosed, wasn't it? Oh, and we went all over trying to find a diagnosis, yes. It, that was in, would be in 1950, pardon me, no, not 1973, I think it was. Okay. Yeah. And you had one child? Yes. At home. And were you working as a nurse at that time? No. When uh, my daughter, who is uh, our chosen child, adopted, mm. uh, one of the conditions was that I not continue with my nursing, that I stay at home. So I was out of nurse. Yes. That condition was imposed upon you? Yes. I had no idea. Oh, yes. And I did that very gleefully. <laughs> yes. And uh, so 14 years uh, later, I just, after my husband passed, I decided to go back and get a refresher course. So how long did he live with ALS? Five years. Five years. What, what, was, what were those five years like? Uh, to begin with, it was very degrading mm. for him uh, because he was a uh, uh, he worked with CBC and was on camera, and of course his voice uh, did a lot of voiceover commercials. Yeah, and his voice started to go, and he was having difficulty walking. We had to uh, get a driver. He had his little chauffeur driving him around <laughs> Toronto. And then I remember one morning I'd have to dress him to go to Toronto to uh, work. And he said, I can't do this. So that's when he had decided to quit. This, uh, How far into it was that, would you say? I would say it was about... Um, I'm, I'm guessing. I'm not very good with numbers. But I would be guessing around... Uh, about three years into it. Right. Mm -hmm. And at that point, how old was he? He was in his 40s, right? He was born, yes. He was 40, um, I think 90, 49 when he passed. Mm -hmm. Were Had you, prior to his um, diagnosis, had you ever discussed things like end-of-life wishes or wills or what? Did oh. you have anything in place? Oh, well, <laughs> he had a great sense of humor. And he would beg me to do something to prevent his, uh, to stop his uh, suffering and to, uh, and of course I said, I can't, I can't, mm. legally I can't. Yeah. So he had a, um, we um, had an electric wheelchair because there was no help for people with disabilities or ALS at that time. Right. And so he... I uh, was heading for the pool one day off his electric wheelchair, <laughs> but he didn't make it. Oh. So he, he was very much, he would beg me to. Oh, uh, he was serious. Seriously oh, he was doing very that. serious. Sorry, I thought you said because he had a, an amazing sense well, of humor. Well, he did, but he would also maybe have a twinkle in his eye or, or grinning, but there then he got very serious about it. Yeah. Yes. 
Oh, that must have been devastating. But he didn't make it because there's steps to the pool. Otherwise, right. he would have finished his life. Right. So that's, um, no, the, and he was really, really seriously uh, disabled at that point. Um, and you were his caregiver? I was primary? his caregiver. Primary. Yeah. Did you have any help coming in? Yes, uh, through uh, ACTRA, Association of Canadian Artists. and Oh, yeah. Yeah, through ACTRA. Mm -hmm. He was able to get some um, daytime help so that I could go and try to make a living. Yeah. <laughs> and were you working as a nurse at that point? No, no, I was. we had a riding establishment. Okay. And Liana was living with you. And uh, did he die at home? No. He did not because he, he he progressed to this state where he required suctioning. Right, and that's and a 24-7. there was no way I could be there 24-7. Yeah. So he, we admitted him to hospital where he eventually, uh, with a nurse, uh, a, a pract uh, not a practical nurse, a uh, private nurse, mm. where uh, even though she was supposed to be there 24 7 right she he did die alone he choked to death oh that's that's devastating phyllis mm. yeah that must have been very upsetting and you know it um yes yeah, so i was uh, of course you you know you go when you someone passes uh and you go through the stages of anger and mm. all of the about that i was angry yeah very sure. angry but, um, you know, this, the people have to live. Yeah. <laughs> Even the nurse had to go to the... She was at the nurse's station, but, there, you know, that's how uh, quickly he choked. Right. Um, and after your husband died, you were in Toronto. Did you stay in Toronto? No, after my husband died, we were still on the uh, farm, the, the writing school. Outside of Toronto? Yeah, yeah which is at Budley. Oh, okay. Yeah. And when did you meet your second husband? Well, actually, I went back to, I, I tried to do, to run the establishment myself. Mm. And I was up throwing bales of hay down from the, and I almost went down with the bale onto the <laughs> cement floor. And I thought, Phyllis, it's time you went back to do something else to make a living. Right. It was too hard for me, so that's when I made a decision to go back to get my refresher course in nursing. Okay. So would, is your longest part of your career as a nurse was after your first husband died. Is that right? How long were you a nurse before you got married? And then... I graduated in 55, and Liana was born in 66. So that's how long I nursed. Um, so then your second husband, how long were you, how long were you together? Well, uh, it's, that's interesting because when I married my first husband, I knew that he had a, a, a very serious cancer diagnosis. Mm. And I just I said, you know, I, I actually prayed, would you believe that Phyllis prayed, for that I would get 20 years. And just as he was reaching his end, he said, dummy, why didn't you ask for more? Uh, <laughs> so then, guess what? My second husband, I got 20 years. Oh, well, they just <laughs> answered the wrong prayer. Or it was the wrong timing. <laughs> the timing was wrong. However, as, you know, we have to, we all know we're going to get there one day. Mm. And you were also your second husband's nurse. 
I nursed him right to the bitter end. Yes. Yes. No more. No more husbands. <laughs> Nothing will cure you of uh, the need for a husband like <laughs> nursing two of them until they die. I suppose. Yeah. How, how did those experiences? Because I mean, I would say the average person by that age. How old were you when your second husband died? It was 10 years ago, so yeah, I was in my 70s. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, how, how much did those experiences or have those experiences influenced how you think about your own death now at this stage in your life? Oh, I'm most, I mean, they, they, uh, they um, uh, what's the word I should use? They really uh, cemented my mm. uh, decision that there was no way on God's green earth that I was going to end up as a vegetable mm. or as a in excruciating pain and, or burden on the family and causing. What do you mean by burden? What 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 is burden like from y- your own language and understanding? What what would be a burden? Well, for example, I will go to the, uh, with my first husband. Yeah. It was devastating for the entire family. Right. Devastating. Mm-hmm. To the point where, uh, well, my poor daughter was only eight when he was diagnosed. Mm. And um, having to almost be a caregiver for her father yeah. who couldn't read instead of enjoying um, just being a kid mm-hmm. and a teenager. Uh, so, And then the family... It disrupted the entire family, uh, my extended family, and my uh, own family for my, uh, because everybody wanted to help, mm-hmm. and um, no, it's uh, it 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 was it's it destroys families. So when you say that that cemented your sort of commitment or whatever we want to say to not being a burden, what does that mean? What how have you made those arrangements so that that doesn't happen? What what have you done so far? Well, well, it started out in BC when yeah. I w- made my some uh, decisions, and I didn't know at that time uh, because my cancer was not um, in remission per se because I was still undergoing care. So when was sorry, sorry to interrupt. When you mentioned your cancer diagnosis. That was what you, in terms of when you started working on your paperwork and stuff, but that wasn't the first. No. And you didn't have, after like previous, like significant health challenges, did you have your paperwork sorted out during those? Or was that a real wake up call for you that like, I need to get my shit together? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, uh, my first diagnosis was when I was still nursing. This is my second marriage. So I had the first diagnosis of cancer, but there was no treatment. There was no chemo. So that's when I made major decisions about getting rid of a lot of um, properties and animals and we downsized considerably so we could spend our uh, golden years uh, so to speak in uh, the south so we downsized considerably Mm -hmm. Um, and during this process so there's like you just went through that was over this the course of what like five years all of those Uh, the first yeah 
well, yes, I had bits and pieces of it, yeah. Because when I met you, you were very much a lady who knew what she wanted in terms of uh, getting things in writing and making sure that your T's were crossed, your I's were dotted, and it was something that you felt not even, it wasn't just about yourself. Like, that was one thing that struck me is that you were very, like, quite adamant that this should be an ongoing discussion with all of the residents and the, because you were in an assisted living. Yes. I, um, in, uh, when I moved to, um, Richmond, BC and was in the, the, uh, pl- place where we met, mm-hmm. uh, and I looked around and of course I knew that I, uh, I had to get my eyes, uh, dotted and T's crossed, and I actually made arrangements for uh, with the funeral company in um, Richmond, B.C., Yeah, uh, that I had all that in order, and then I had, of course, the, uh, the um, crematorium uh, was uh, done in, um, in Ontario, but it was able, I could carry that through. It was paid for it was for as long as I needed it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so I had all that arranged in uh, Richmond when you, we met. And uh, because I didn't know how long I had and I wanted to. And, and of course, I was downsizing, downsizing, downsizing. Yeah. So did getting that paper, getting those things done, what was the feeling? Did it give you a sense of relief or was it oh, comfort yes. around oh, just knowing that? Yes, it was a, it really was a relief. My, my, uh, my ducks are in a row and I don't, I won't have so much, um, garbage to give the kids to, for my family that, you know, everything is they organized so that they don't have to worry about that, that everything is done. And do you have bedside wishes, things that you have written down that you would like? Yes, I have. You have it all written down. It's all—it's basically like a package ready to go. Yes, that little pamphlet that, that we got through uh, My Voice, I think it was called mm. in BC. Yeah. I have that all written down. In fact, I checked on it yesterday to make sure it's up to date. <laughs> Because you were coming to speak to me, <laughs> and I had to make sure that it's up to date, which it it did need updating. It okay. does need updating, yeah, because my wishes change, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and my experiences change. So uh, yes, that was all very much organized. Do you think that you are? It is an anomaly that for someone. I mean, not even just at your age, but in general. Oh, unfortunately, yes. I'm sorry, yes, that is so. It's very, um, I find it very depressing Mm. to see these souls. This is becoming, there's so many people who now are here who either have dementia or they're really, really need a lot of nursing care. And, uh, you know, they end up days in the hospital and that's usually where they die Mm -hmm. and this is uh, I find it very upsetting and I've tried to uh, express my um, what I am doing and um, (laughs) I think they look upon me now as uh, uh, nurse death (laughs) 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 or was it Kevorkian Kevorkian Dr. Death yeah 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 yeah. Yeah, uh, but um 
man, you can get that title with just wanting to talk about it, not even... Uh... Well, for example, um, I went actually to cocktail hour. I don't do drink, but I went there just because... Phyllis, you, you don't drink. Not in, not since my last surgery, last, no, not my last surgery, my last um, episode with COVID, etc. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This, this summer. Yeah. Does, uh, it wouldn't sit well on my belly. Yep. yep fair. <laughs> anyway, I went there and the one person said, oh, uh, she was very upset when she found out, or Phyllis was very upset when she found out that she didn't qualify yet for maid. <laughs> so you're famous is basically <laughs> what I'm hearing. <laughs> <laughs> the infamous uh, the infamous uh, lady who was devastated she didn't qualify yeah. for me imagine being sad you didn't qualify <laughs> honestly i don't think that's an unusual experience like i as far as if folks for whatever reason decide that that's something they want to explore i think that a lot of people that doesn't occur to them that that it might not be possible for them like it's sort of one of those things that okay well I'm ready to explore this and when I'm ready to actually do it it'll be there and the the process doesn't include the idea that someone might decline you well speaking of that um I when I came to Ontario I had to uh, get, well, my family doctor retired, so I had to get a new family doctor. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I met him, and I was having pain. So I went to him, and I discussed the fact that, you know, I am now in Ontario, and I, in BC, I had the, uh, my, um, the maid situation, they called it dying with dignity. Yeah. I had that organized, but now in Ontario, the rules are a little different. And he said, well, I'm new to Canada, number one. Mm. And he said, I will refer you to a someone who is a specialist and uh, in palliative care right. and also uh, for pain management. So I was referred to uh, the do very uh, wonderful doctor mm -hmm. who is um, tried with pain management. But uh, because I don't have a, um, at the moment, um, my cancer is in remission. Mm -hmm. And so there, uh, there's really nothing that uh, I would, I couldn't qualify at this point. However, however, I am still under, uh, they, they monitor me, shall we say. Right. And I can call him whenever I want if I want to discuss things with him. Do you feel like you have any unfinished business? Oh, yes. I've got a couple of things that have, haven't, haven't dotted my eyes. So, yes, I have unfinished business. Uh, even Not even just about the end-of-life stuff. Just in the world. Do you have any unfinished business? Oh, yes. Business I, I really would like... <laughs> uh, you're th you'll think this is funny, but it's, it is funny rather amusing when you stop and think when well you know I've got maybe maybe another year or so before that you know what hits the fan <laughs> but you know for example I was you can thinking say shit <laughs> that's right <laughs> but I thought you know I I don't think I need to buy any uh, makeup I put makeup on my eyes so that I have eyebrows well I don't won't be able to put it on my hair when it all goes but I thought you know I don't think I will would live long enough to buy another one of those. 
<laughs> so did you do so that? Yes, I do have unfinished business. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So are you running out? Your eyebrows look wonderful. <laughs> well, they've just been done. <laughs> <laughs> well, perfect. So but I don't know what I'll do about the hair, but that doesn't worry me. No, my unfinished business are more, <laughs> more uh, not worrisome, but I, I hope that I can live long enough to see my daughter uh, become, uh, you know, get her, um, her PhD, not her PhD, her master's. In, yeah. Yeah. That's what I'd like. And I would really like to see uh, some of uh, her the, the her uh, thesis as well. Yeah. That yeah. should be, yes. We talked about unfinished business, and you mentioned that you're kind of known as the lady who was upset when she was turned down for maid. But would you... At the, in your current state, if they if you were approved, are you feeling like you would do that right now? Oh no, no, no! I know that I'm. There's no way that I have uh, that they would approve me mm. because it takes two doctors to come and and uh, interview you. And uh, I mean, I'm I'm healthier than ninety nine percent of the people that are here in this building. And how much are they receptive to? talking about because you've you've mentioned a group of friends that you have that yes i have there's a group of us there are five nurses Mm. and uh shall we uh, i tried to um uh when i got to know them through birthday parties etc usually we cocktail hours well but uh, on our on our own terms with just the nurses sure because nurses have a special uh, way of our sense of humor is somewhat different than the average. <laughs> well, you know what? In healthcare, yeah. you you see things that the average person doesn't yeah. see over and over and over, and it does sometimes take a bit of a an odd sense of humor to. You're right, absolutely right. So I discussed my 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 situation because when I'm then when I moved here, I still you know was not sure how long I. Mm-hmm. Uh, or when my, uh, I, when I had uh, my, it would raise its ugly head, shall we say? Yes. So um, we discussed this, and I said, "Well, would anybody be interested in having uh, someone come to speak to us from um, palliative care and Ed's house in, uh, in Coburg, uh, which Ed's is, house is um, a hospice. It's a hospice, okay. yeah." And so I had mentioned this to Dr. Muley, my and and uh, and the nurse who comes to chat with me, mm-hmm. which they do frequently. They usually check on me every month. Oh, that's nice. Yes. You like them? They, oh, yes. And yeah. so she came and spoke to the group uh, uh, privately, mm-hmm. and uh, there then the word spread that. Uh, <laughs> That and so I would. Lady have Death is at it again. <laughs> <laughs> My door. People were asking me who weren't nurses who were asking me if they could. Uh, they were very much wanted to be on the bandwagon, so to speak. Also, and I didn't feel comfortable with just anybody coming and and t- so I said uh, because I'm in a facility and they do have. Um, 
staff staff i mean presumably phyllis like you're a resident here you've taken it upon yourself to do something that probably should have been arranged by staff in the first place they should be doing that and then obviously people want to talk about it because suddenly you're getting cold calls Mm -hmm. at your door yeah cold calls is right so i said um i i referred this uh, I, i spoke to the director of care of nursing and uh, gave her all my information, mm-hmm. and she was most interested. Of course, then, you know, we were locked down, locked down, locked down, and nothing has been done. Uh, what thi- were the people who were knocking on the door? Like, was there a, a common theme of things that yes. they... What, what, what were they? Well, one had uh, uh, cancer diagnosis and his surgery, right. and the others were uh, had lost a, a spouse or whatever, and then others were suffering, uh, yes. So were they looking for information about MAID or information broadly, more broadly speaking, about you know how to get their paperwork sorted for end of life? Basically, it was MAID, but when they, stu- uh, they didn't know the steps to take, and I uh, referred them to um, the director of nursing, who right. uh, I gave the information about that pamphlet that everybody could get hold of if they wanted it's just so funny phyllis because like it it's like a college dorm where you hear that like dave's got the best drugs and you go and like knock on his door and try and but it's about something as like important and significant as end of life decision making that we are all going to experience and it's like in the same I heard Phyllis has the info and people knocking on your door. Well, this is what I felt. It, it was not appropriate for me to take that role. I mean, it was different with just the nurses because we were sort of a, a, a family, sure. so, so to speak. But this was people that I didn't know. I, I may have met them in the hall. Yeah. But uh, I felt that there, there's a definite need out there. And, um, and I think maybe it's time that I approach the director of care again and say excuse me but now that we're out of um, lockdown uh, is there uh, any action yeah any action the parent she did try to get some uh, something going I guess and um, and I wasn't aware of what exactly it was but she did try to get a speaker in about uh you know, handling uh, things for the end of life. I don't know if fascinating is the word. Remarkable, certainly, that um, not just in this this particular um, institution, but generally speaking, and this was true in British Columbia, we were both in British Columbia, and in Ontario, but Ontario it's almost more pronounced because it's a larger province with a bigger population, but... That like it's freaking hard for people to talk about to get someone to talk to them about their death. <laughs> like that is a challenge. I remember that's was when we were did that little workshop. I Phyllis and I did a little workshop um in British Columbia with some interested parties who lived at the same and the major theme was that either, you know, I remember I can't remember who it was said, you know, she'd try to bring up her end of life wishes and her family would tell her not to be morbid. And she was like, I'm 92. <laughs> what do you mean? You know? And, um, it's like, where's the space for people to talk about it? And it's, and not being able to it's, and you, you can speak to it better than I can, but seems like it's a huge source of anxiety, not being, and not having this, not being able to talk about it. 
Yes, I think an, another, there, well, the, again, the nurses, uh, one nurse who um, has, she's, I think, in her 90s, and her she's just had a uh, son who has been diagnosed with, uh, with cancer and is uh, undergoing chemo. And she, uh, when she finds anything on TV or et cetera about, which there seems to be a lot of more info now on um, at television and iPads, et cetera. And she would send me a information or let me know when this program was on. Mm -hmm. And she also uh, told me about the uh, book that Dr. Green from uh, BC which uh, I was able to read, and I found it very fascinating. Yeah, and very informative. And I would, I'm going to, I am going to speak to the um, nursing de uh, head of nursing department again to ask her what um, what uh, has been done. I mean, you, sh it shouldn't. This to me, it's like. This is one area that one would hope it's not a squeaky wheel situation where you have to loudly talk about. Someone talk to me about my my death and dying experience before anyone will. Well, you would think that the nursing department would be one of the people that would be uh, suggesting these uh, things take place. I don't really know where else I can turn unless I turn to the recreation department. Yeah. <laughs> But apparently she uh, was, there was too many negatives. For example, she said, well, there's so many people, this is what she said, there's so many people that we really wouldn't understand. And then there's the families involved in wondering why we're having uh, these discussions. So there's, it, everybody seems to have a negative uh, outlook on it. When we're all going to go there one day, mm -hmm. we're all going to be... Well, that is part of, I think, that feeds into what is at can be quite a harmful culture around death is that and this sort of need to be silent about it and pretend it's not happening and to uh, when someone brings it up to shush them and say don't be morbid all of those things are quite harmful I think they are they are very harmful and it leaves those who are those of us who are approaching uh, the end of our life it leaves us anxious very anxious and worried. Yeah. Well, what about this? Or what about my family? What about, uh, you know, am I going to suffer? Uh, or I'm going to be sitting in a corner gaga? I mean, all of these things. But why are the these uh, institutions, like retirement homes, and um, why are they not doing more about it? Is it um, something that you want to be doing not with family like is your preference to come uh, do all of this so essentially your daughter and son-in-law just are like here's the paperwork they don't have to make any decisions is that what you want because some people they might want the opposite they might want their family very involved well my family all know yes my family all know um uh, but they're reaching a stage in their lives where they've got friends and colleagues who are suffering from incurable diseases. Mm -hmm. And, of course, my daughter, you know, she uh, said, well, we, do, we don't need to talk about it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Mom, you're becoming morbid. <laughs> 
So yes, but I, I I'm really disappointed that there isn't more. Um, uh, what was the word I would uh, search for? Why there isn't more information from the establishment, from mm -hmm. the, the the facility, to offer these things. I know I've discussed it with the receptionist. I've discussed it with the uh, the person who is in charge of um, real the real estate. I mean, she is the one who I spoke to when I arrived here. The, the agent. She's the not. I guess she's a an assistant manager, but she's she's in charge of um, renting. And, and uh, I spoke to her when I came. I said. Uh, is it possible if I pass away here, uh, would I, could you have um, some, the, um, could I have made medical assistant and die? And she says, yes, you can. Right, so people can receive yes, so, made here. Yes, because that was building. the first question yeah, I yeah. had when I came here. And she said, yes, my father did that right here in this facility. It would be pretty shocking if they said no. Yes, and I have heard that there have been other patients who've had made here. Um, so your experiences with your husband's being a caregiver, has that informed or like around your sort of bedside wishes and who cares for you, et cetera? Is it, are you adamant that it should not be your daughter? I would not wish it on my daughter. Mm. I would not. I wouldn't wish it on any of my family. Yeah. I would want them present when my last uh, um, days or whatever. Yes. yes. But the actual physical care, uh, there's no way that I want my daughter uh, looking after my very intimate needs. Yes, yes. Like uh, bedpans and all that. Yes. yes, yes. What are the things that they can do with their presence to bring you comfort? Oh, just their presence, just their presence. Just if you a... were, say, not awake, are there things that they could do or say, or is there a book that you love that they could read to you? Have you thought about those sorts of things? Music that yes, you like? Yes, I, I have so that sort of thing written down. Yeah. Oh, you do? I do, right, yeah, yeah. And That's... the music that I like. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm sure my daughter would be rubbing my legs yeah, <laughs> or, or feet. Well, it is it's yeah, those yeah, things yeah. that you think about that yeah. like, oh, I've always really liked. Yeah. yeah. I love it when people play yeah. with my hair. Yeah. That's always just yeah. such a relaxing, comforting thing. Mm -hmm. She'd be, she'd be massaging my toes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, these are things that, uh, be, but she's, that's the type of person she is anyway. Mm -hmm. And, but no, I wouldn't want any of my family to do the it, intimate care no yeah. no and, and this is what i discussed this with my with dr muley the um uh, uh the palliative doc palliative yeah palliative care doctor and he said well i said i want to remain in my facility he said well maybe um realistically they wouldn't be able to manage you here you may have to go to palliative care so would that be something that would make you, if you were eligible, choose, would you prefer to do MAID here than oh, go to palliative? Yes. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. Uh, but as he said, uh, it may not be uh, right. uh, physically able. It, but um, uh, And that's where I would go to uh, Ed's house. 
So, I mean, Phyllis, I know you to be quite a shit disturber. Yes. You're out there. You're you're telling people, telling folks, you know. I mean, advocacy, I would call it advocacy in terms of how you in both facilities have been reluctantly but strongly involved in encouraging like the the powers that be to incorporate these discussions i think i'm going to have to start doing that again i mean we're out of uh lockdown again you know the and and being a former nurse i know that they're maxed out the nursing department and the poor psws are underpaid Mm. but the director of care is the one that i'm going to go to again because it's it it there should be something being done and it's it's not the recreation director's responsibility i don't think maybe in conjunction with the recreation department i don't know yeah see i well i hope that well i actually you know what i'm not even going to say i hope it because I know that it's something that you feel strongly about Mm -hmm. and have as long as I've known you. And obviously because of, you know, the circumstances throughout your life, it's probably something you felt strongly about for a long time. Yes, it is. Yes. Yes. One thing um, that I, I, I'm trying to, I don't, I'm not a social, uh, I don't socialize with at happy hour, but I, they sent around a, um, a notice, the recreation person, of what we would like. T- so I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking I might like to have even put that on her list. Mm. Uh, but one thing that I, have, they'd get asked for suggestions, and I, one thing I mentioned was, I find that people are depressed. Yeah. Uh, you, I can just feel it when I go into social hour, even though I don't have a, a drink. Yeah. <laughs> I feel that they're depressed and they're gossiping, et cetera, instead of enjoying. And I thought, why don't we have a pub night and sing good old pub songs? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mentioned, I brought this up last night. I went in to, because there weren't many people there. It was mm. a small group because usually it's so crowded in there. Uh, so I so I was discussing with one of the nurses, in fact, two of the nurses. I said, you know, both of them, and so we started singing. Just, you know, there were just a few, about three of us. And we were singing um, Roll Out the Barrel. And, uh, the, you know, Is just that Roll Out the Barrel. Yeah. <laughs> and then one said, Well, it'd be nice if someone could play the chord. I said, We don't need music. But there is a lady here. Her name is Mary. And she's got a beautiful voice. And she is a. Uh, must be in her nineties, but apparently I'm I'm going to I'm going to. Pers- this is a brilliant idea. Yeah, and then maybe they'll come decide that maybe they better organize some other things in their lives. Yeah, yeah. So, if you let's say your this conversation was going to hit the ears of people of all the decades, 20 year olds, 30 year olds, 40 year olds, is there an age where you would think it's not, it's not important to think or think or write down things about your own end of life? I already know the answer. No. Well, I think you know the answer to that question. The answer to that question is as we did in BC, every, everyone, no matter what age we should all have, uh, our, um, have something to, 
if we were hit on by a car, killed uh, in the street or somewhere, what our wishes are. We well, should all it, have our wishes. It's funny, as a 43-year-old, I mean, uh, this is obvious that the longer you live, the more people you know die. Um, but the uh, the other truth that you, we kind of don't necessarily anticipate, and it feels like a shock and a surprise every time, is that those people who die are at all different ages. And, you know, when I was younger, I, I didn't know really a young person who died, or like peripherally perhaps. But now, um, you know, people my age and younger, my friend's parents, like it's all, it's, it's sort of clearly you can die at any age, which is the obvious and yet still somehow shocking lesson that you learn throughout your life. Um, and it's universally almost that there's a comment or someone says like, oh, I wish we knew what they would have, I, I hope this is what they would want or, or when someone's dying and can't talk, like, I wish I knew how I could comfort this person. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of, that was what struck me when I was talking, well, over the many times we've spoken, but like having those, those, the feedback of like, don't be morbid. We don't want to talk about this actually is if someone wants to talk about it, let them talk about it because you are stopping a conversation that you later will be very thankful for, potentially. Mm-hmm. Yes, and uh, I think most people, you know, at my age and those uh, older than me, uh, we really have um, a lot of issues. Our, we may have too much pain. We just don't feel like talking about it right now. So the time to do it is when you're feeling healthy mm. <laughs> not when you're starting to uh, uh wonder if you where your next pain medication is going to be oh that's a really good point too i think my next step is for me to get proactive and because uh, the new year is coming and i'm going to make an appointment with the director of nursing and ask her how she, how she's managed and what uh, her now that we're out of lockdown yeah uh, what's the next step and would she like me to um perhaps get a uh, a link to your podcast and phyllis one last thing if anyone was listening and they were thinking about oh shoot someone tried to talk to me about oh grandpa brought it up or whatever do you have just a piece of just a thought to impress upon people if they're faced with a conversation that they feel a bit uncomfortable with, there, is there a nugget you can say to encourage them to like just push through it? Could be important. Is there a phrase that would I could give them? Well, you can give a phrase if you want. Even just a word of encouragement. Well, I yes, encouragement. And I'm going to preface it perhaps with anyone, no matter your age, should be prepared. Yeah. It's like the good old uh, Girl Scout. (laughs) Right. Be prepared Mm -hmm. is the Girl Scouts marching song. Yes. But no, I really feel that any of us should be prepared. And I think most parents of children are prepared in some ways. Most of them with small children are prepared. Uh, But I'm just wondering how many people have their wills Mm -hmm. figured out. But I think this is what um, the director of care had someone come speak to a group 
but her complaint was, or I shouldn't say complaint, her difficulty, I guess, trying to get people organized is what, who, what size of group? And I advised her a small group mm. and perhaps family members, but I'm going to pursue that and find out how she managed with that, what she's done about it, whether she's moving forward on it, mm -hmm. and maybe give her more, um, more advice or suggestions, I should say. One doesn't advise your superiors, do, does one. <laughs> no, well, is she your superior? Well, she's management. Right. So, um, And to those who their first instinct when someone approaches them is to say, don't be morbid and slough off the conversation. What would I, how would I, um, I would probably say, well, we're all going to die. Yeah. We're all going to die and it's better to be prepared. Mm -hmm. And it's, it quite honestly, it's a relief. We can just go ahead and dance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Go ahead and dance and sing in the pub because we're, I'm all ready, lady. <laughs> She's ready for her dance. <laughs> I'm ready for my last hurrah. <laughs> and I want to go out with a rose in my teeth. Well, Okay. Remember See? that I'll have, yeah, got to give roses. The rose in the teeth. <laughs> Just oh, one, rose, one rose, one rose, one rose. Take the thorns out. <laughs> it's been fun. Yes. Thank you, Phyllis.